Jump aboard the Magic School Bus and buckle up because you are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania with Melissa Vaughn, Jesse Perry, and Francesca Lee Davis. On the May 2nd edition, we are talking about city school funding with Emma Clark, former Richmond Public Schools teacher and Support Our Schools administrator, and Sarah Peterson, history teacher at Benford Middle and Richmond Education Association representative for her building. Seatbelts, everyone! Please let this be a normal field trip with a friend. No way! Now for the TLDR version of city-level school funding this year. Richmond Public Schools requested a $10.9 million increase in funding to include a 2% raise for all full-time RPS employees, full coverage of an expected 4% increase on health care costs, 19 additional positions for English language learner support, 12 additional nurses for all schools to have a full-time nurse, 11 additional advanced placement teachers, 10 additional positions for gifted and talented programming, one internal auditor position, $1.5 million for substitutes, $1.2 million to change transportation from the current hub system, $1 $1 million to provide teachers with instructional supplies, $800,000 for athletic equipment and trainers, and $650,000 for new pilot programs, including increasing family engagement, reducing suspensions, and trauma-informed care. On March 6th, the mayor proposed a budget that included a one-time reallocation of a $12.4 million fund balance back to Richmond Public Schools. There has been criticism of these dollars as they are funds the district already had, and it's just one-time funding. However, the school board's proposal has reoccurring costs. As a quick refresher, here's a snippet from our interview with Mayor Stoney's response to the criticism. The focus still remains around the whole child. A $12.5 million in reinvestment is around, I, I just have a belief, and I think I heard that when... Um, I was out there campaigning and pushing the increase, uh, the investment into new school facilities that people thought that all dollars in the city's budget, uh, the city's budget needs to be spent. All an unspent dollar needs to be a spent dollar. And we have to stretch ourselves in so many ways. I have dozens of priorities, but number one, number one priority is public education. And so what I was able to do this time is like the recertification, they call it or whatnot, but there's $12.5 million out there sitting unspent. And I have a rec- I recognize that they're going to come for more reoccurring dollars in the future while I'm mayor. I think there has to be a demonstration, though, that we can spend every single dollar towards our kids. So, yes, one time they got bonus money for 12.5 in the 2019 budget. In 2020, uh, they'll revert back to the budget they had when I gave them an extra $6.2 million. I, I-, I am fine to fight that fight about, you know, whether or not we should add any additional money on top of that. I think uh, I never consider myself a fiscal conservative, but also I I do believe in accountability, though. And I think Jason Cameras is going to step to the plate and show I can make use of this $12.5 million, and I'm going to provide you with a strategic plan on, on how we actually close the achievement gap, and then we can talk about dollars after that. In addition to the money for funding programs in our schools, there's an issue with funding for facilities. The current price tag for fixing facilities is over $800 million. Phase one alone is about $225 million. The recently passed Mills tax will generate $9 million annually, so the city can take on the $150 million in bonds to start construction. Of course, this is only funding for 67% of phase one and does not touch other maintenance and repair needs that are rampant throughout the district. Fifth District Councilman Parker Agilasto proposed an 80 cent cigarette tax that would raise $5 million in annual revenue to go toward capital maintenance needs for school facilities. At the April 23rd City Council meeting, the cigarette tax failed to a 6-3 vote. Yeah, about that. <coughs> mm. <laughs> That's uh, how we all feel. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Yeah. Shout out to Parker. We see you working. We're sorry. Yeah, about that April 23rd council meeting. Ugh. What had happened was... <laughs> 
Altria bust employees in with matching t-shirts to join the convenience store owners to fill the audience and speak against the cigarette tax, citing reasons such as jobs will be lost, Altria will move out of the city, Altria is so nice, but what about Petersburg though? And the impact to small business owners. But for the record, it wasn't just this will hurt my business, it was the cigarette tax will put me out of business and my kids will be homeless. Bye. That went on for close to an hour. Then the pro-cigarette tax people came up to speak for another hour about the severe needs at school buildings, the health benefits of imposing a cigarette tax, that Petersburg's revenue actually went up from the cigarette tax, and more. Finally, it went back to council for discussion, starting with the yes votes. Agilasto made an impassioned plea, as always, in favor of schools, citing the chronic underfunding by city council for basic needs. Third District Councilman Chris Hilbert and Fourth District Councilwoman Kristen Larson both voted Yes. On the no side of the fence was, well, everyone else. Eighth District Councilwoman Reva Trammell was predictably Reva, defending Altria and their good works to the death. Mm. Second District Councilwoman Kim Gray also cited Altria's good works, but was very clear she will not support any funding measures until there's a facilities plan in place that includes school closures. Oh, really? Sixth District Councilwoman Ellen Robertson indicated she would only vote for a cigarette tax that went to fund helping people with addictions and promised to form a commission to create a comprehensive funding plan by January 1st, 2019. It's like six months from now. Go ahead, go ahead. Also the date that the referendum says that Stoney has to have his done by. Mm-hmm. Ah. Fun fact. Seventh hmm. District Councilwoman Cynthia Newbill said she believes the school has the $150 million in place now to start on projects while they work on a comprehensive funding plan for all of the needs. Eighth District Councilman Mike Jones voiced his concerns regarding the negative impact to people in poverty, but he also shamed the convenience store. Let me not drool. <coughs> I started talking about Mike Jones and I started to drool. <laughs> But he also shamed the convenience store owners a little, telling them that if their stores are so reliant on cigarettes that they need to diversify and find other things to sell. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He went on to say that they should find ways to serve their communities, like selling fresh food in food deserts Mm. and not price gouging when they clearly roll up to their stores in Beamers and Mercedes. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Womp womp. All right, now that we're all caught up in the same page about the most current state of city funding, I would like to welcome Sarah Peterson and Emma Clark to the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. If you could briefly introduce yourselves and your organizations. So I'm Emma Clark, um, and I'm a former teacher with Richmond Public Schools, and I am a current organizer for Support Our Schools. My name is Sarah Peterson. I am a current teacher in RPS at Binford Middle School, Pride of the Fan, and also an REA building rep. Awesome. So to kick off discussion, Support Our Schools is rallying with organizations and has been rallying with organizations to lobby city council to make changes to the mayor's proposed budget. Could you all speak about what you've been asking city council to change in the budget and why? So uh, the first issue with what the mayor proposed, and this is the thing that it's really critical for people to understand, is that the mayor is proposing that we fund the ongoing needs of the school that reoccur every year with one-time money that is essentially leftover money from the budget last year. So that's like trying to pay your rent from, I don't know, a check you got for your birthday from your grandma. So reoccurring costs should be paid with reoccurring funds. Um, So it's a huge issue that what the mayor has proposed is not coming from money that we can count on again 
next year. Um, it makes it really difficult for the school system to make long-term plans. And given the state of our schools, we really need to be thinking long-term strategy. Um, so that was problem number one. Uh, and prob- if I could just add yeah, to that, additionally, it's the school board would not be living up to its fiduciary responsibility, its responsibility to handle money mm-hmm. appropriately by hiring teachers, by having these pilot programs, by using this one-time money for programs that should continue. And so like, just to be clear, we kind of said this in the intro, but when we're talking about the reoccurring costs for teachers, like what, what types of teachers are we looking at? Or I think there's nurses that are involved in it. Yeah, we need school nurses. We've got elementary schools without a nurse. Sharing nurses. Sharing schools. nurses. These, these caring people have to go from building to building. And when a school is without a nurse, <laughs> when a school is without a nurse and there is an issue that a nurse would have to handle, emergency personnel have to be brought in. For example, if a child has an asthma attack, emergency personnel have to come in, which means that the whole building has to go on code red, which is a lockdown. So like we're calling 911 in that situation. We're calling 911 when a kid needs an, like, um, what is it called? An inhaler. An nebulizer? A nebulizer. A nebulizer. <laughs> because we don't have nurses. A nurse on staff because she's at the other facility right now. Correct. Yeah. Additionally, we are below where we're supposed to be for ESL. And I don't mean supposed to in like some arbitrary like moral sense. I mean the state says we need what, three more ESL positions at a minimum. We're not able to fund that on one-time money. We're not going to pay someone's salary with a one-time check and we are not living up to our state obligation our legal obligation. So the fact that it's one-time money is a problem in and of itself, but in addition to that, uh, what the school board asked for this year is an increase in the operating funds to do things like hire more ESL teachers, to hire nurses for every school, to meet the legal obligations that we have to the state uh, of Virginia. Um, and Never mind the, our ethical obligations to right, our students. That aside. So before um, we kind of continue really quick right. down this path, I, I want to clarify. So there's really three different types of funds that schools are asking for. Right. There's the operating costs, the facilities plans, and the maintenance needs. Right. Correct. Okay. And so under operating costs, that's things like teachers and everything that really makes the school run. Mm-hmm. So if we have, for example, an influx, we all know that population's growing in Richmond, especially south of the river, and especially with the Hispanic population. So is that where you're starting to see maybe even more of a need of more teachers? It's not necessarily just, hey, we think this might be a good idea. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, each year your operating costs are going to increase for a variety of reasons, including at just a basic level, cost of living increases. Yeah. Um, but currently, Richmond Public Schools is operating on a budget that offers us less money to run the schools than we had in 2009. Nine. Every year. It gets so lower. every year it's it's continuing to get lower um, instead of higher. Um, so the budget that the mayor proposed, the money that he's offering, is not sufficient to cover the increases that we asked for in our operating budget. When we look at all of this, and I, I think we hear so many budget deliberations, and I think we just saw that city council rated the public art fund. Yeah. Where should the money come from or where could the money come from? Have you guys looked at any of those ideas of like suggestions of things of where maybe people could start to apply some pressure to counsel or anybody else? There have been a lot of suggestions. Um, What it comes down to, a lot of people keep making this argument that we can find the money somewhere in the budget. We don't have $800 million. Which Plus is, to increase. be clear, that's just for facilities is $800 exactly. million. That we're not, that's that one pot of money. We've got two So that's others. just when we say facilities. That's just that's renovations and, and renovating schools. them okay. to right. allow our children to have access to a quality mm-hmm. education. So we need $800 million, million for that pot for the facilities, repairs, and rebuilding. We need... $93 million over the next five years for maintenance so that that building is 
habitable for children until it can be replaced or repaired. And then we need an increase in our operating costs. So all of that money combined, 800 plus 93 plus, I'm not sure what <laughs> what we're asking for in the increase to the operating budget, um, but all of that, you're not going to find that money just sitting around in the budget somewhere you're going to need to raise taxes. So one of the things that's being considered um, is potentially a real estate tax, although obviously we would want that to be progressive. So taxing either people whose houses are worth a certain value or higher um, or finding some way to make that not accelerate gentrification and impact people who are trying to hold on to their houses as it is. Um, so new revenue coming in through taxes, uh, maybe reviewing the city CIP programs. So um, all of those building projects that we would like to do over the next 10, 20 years. Stone Bistro, Coliseum. What else we have? I don't know. A fancy record player for City Hall. Exactly. Any of that good stuff that hasn't that we haven't started construction on, maybe some of that stuff can wait um, and we can prioritize the schools. So let's talk about like the reasons that we've heard people say not now or not this method or whatever it is. So I think one of the ones that I keep hearing is about comprehensive plans, Hmm. one of which is a comprehensive plan for facilities, which includes school closures. And then the other one is a comprehensive funding plan. Like you guys have this 150 million, 150 million, there's money in an account. Let's take the time and pump the brakes and do this. First of all, I guess ah, school closures. That's one for me personally. I think I don't know if I've said it on air. I'm so torn on this because I can see I can see where the in theory, you know, cutting the number of buildings if you can't afford everything. I can see where it might make sense, but at the same time, where does it does it help people to have? Typically, no. One of the things I think Richmond Public Schools does have as an asset is it has committed itself to community schools because we want to serve communities. That means that when we have parents at Armstrong or at MLK or at Broadrock, we want those schools to be accessible to those parents, to those members of the community, to grandparents and to the students. You know, our kids don't drive. They need to be able, and with our transportation budget the way it is, they need to be able to access their school. Additionally, when we talk about consolidating, it's typically done in like this really, mm, it's not a particularly thoughtful way. We're talking about taking about a thousand elementary school students and putting them in one building under one principal. The principal's job of any in any school looks like the least fun thing I've ever seen. It's like the absolute worst job in the world. It's incredibly stressful. So to take those kids <laughs> and double the population and but not but not give the administrative support that is necessary is irresponsible. Mm-hmm. We need we need to be serving students where they live. Yeah. um, When people say consolidating schools, it's really a euphemism for closing schools. But Mm -hmm. politically, nobody wants to say, I'm going to close a school. Um, But that's the other one. It's right sizing. Right sizing. -sizing. Um, And I'd love to get back to the context in which that word has been used recently. Um, But when you're talking about closing schools, you're talking about um, closing schools for the most vulnerable kids because in theory, maybe consolidating schools make sense, but in practice, it always means that the same kids, low-income families and typically minority families are getting the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. They're the schools who are getting closed. And the the concerning thing is that we're seeing this push from the mayor and from city council, this demand that school board change track and start closing schools at the same time that we're seeing public housing being shut down. 
public housing being sold off. So we're making this city increasingly difficult for poor people to get buy-in. We're making the schools, um, we're taking the schools out of their neighborhoods, we're placing them in areas that it's not easy to access public transportation to, and we're literally eliminating the physical places where they can live. So it's, um, as much as it may sound financially responsible to consolidate schools, if you understand historically how this happens in, at the same time and alongside gentrification and pushing poor people out to the counties, um, it's not, it's a lot more insidious than just being financially responsible. Mm-hmm. And none of that's happening by accident. That is intentional. It's systemic and it's intentional. That's not the school district I want to be working for. And frankly, it's not the city I want to be living in. So teachers are excellent advocates in, for, in this arena because we want to work with children. We do work with children and we love our children, our students. Do you think it's a Richmond thing or do you think it's an overall national thing right now? I think it's a national thing. I, th- I think we see this in any locality that serves a predominantly low income um, or a large number of low income families. You as a mayor or you as a council, of course, you're charged with the task of moving your city forward, which in essence means trying to build your middle class. Mm-hmm. You can do that one of two ways. You can either create programs that help low-income families move into the middle class, or you can just push those people out of your locality and make them somebody else's problem. Mm. And that's a lot easier than the and less time-consuming and less politically difficult than trying to move poor people into the middle class. Or you can continue to, you know, ghettoize a group of people by ensuring that they have to go to schools that are chronically understaffed and always underfunded. And then use that underfunding as an excuse to say that public schools aren't working um, and move towards a charter school model or a private school model where um, low-income families have even less access to high-quality education. I had someone say to me in city government, uh, why is it all right that there are 1,000 students at Broad Rock, but we can't have 1,000 students in an elementary school in the East End? My response is, who's saying that's all right? I'm not saying that's all right. Emma's not saying that's all right. There shouldn't be a thousand elementary school students in one building. Mm-hmm. We can do better than that. And so when we talk about right sizing, so really I think quick we have though, to, like yeah. to, just to kind of add to that. So when we're talking about a thousand students at Broad Rock, that would mean that's a, it's right now a, a demographic that is a high influx of Hispanic children that are moving into an area. And then if you look into the East End, that is typically more of an African-American student population. So that statement that they're making, I'm assuming, is saying, why can we put Hispanic students in a thousand student school and and lump them together when everywhere else in the city we're saying a thousand students isn't the right size for an elementary school? And we already have ESL deficits anyway. Right. And when we talk about consolidation, instead of going that route, I would really like to see redistricting. Because if we need to right size our district, we perhaps need to just utilize the buildings that we have. You know, if we have, it just makes sense. We've got crowded schools on the south side. We've got some under-enrolled schools on the north side. We've got buses, y'all. Like, we <laughs> we can make that work. We can make that happen. We don't have to go around closing Man, schools. Man, that James River. <laughs> yeah, we're not going on a ferry. You don't have to ford. Like, you don't it's have not to a f- moat. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to sink. Wait, this isn't across the wagon and water. This isn't like the Oregon Trail, trail right? <laughs> Are we fording the river? Yeah. Oh, no, your oxen has died. <laughs> yep. 
Oh, man. That, that's her right-sizing, though. This is where it gets um, really frustrating, and this is where we need people to be holding their government accountable. Because right now, uh, it's very clear. We have three branches of our city government here. We've got a school board who's in charge of running the schools. Mm-hmm. We've got a mayor who's in charge of proposing a budget. And we've got a city council who's in charge of approving a budget. Those are clear, delineated roles. The school board has done their job. They have come up with a plan for how they're going to fix the schools. Unlike the previous school board with option five, they've actually put names on those schools. Which schools are going to get renovated first? Which schools are going to be rebuilt versus renovated? And so on and so forth. So they've come up with the plan. Here's where our government is failing us. The mayor is saying that he won't fund that plan until they come up with a new one that closes schools. And city council is echoing that, saying, we're not going to find the money in the budget to fund your plan until you change it to the one we want. And so when we say city council, there is one voice that has absolutely been much louder than the others that has very vocally said you need to close schools. Right. And so that would be second district councilwoman Kim Gray. Former school board. Hmm. Or member. Mm-hmm. Cam Gray. Okay. Sorry. I, sometimes I just like to like not indict the entire city council sometimes. You're just right. like let's was... be clear on like who they are. Because sometimes, you know, I, I will say if there are people who disagree with this, it's not necessarily you have to call every single city council member. Mm-hmm. There absolutely. are absolutely some who absolutely. are more vocal advocates for funding schools regardless. And then there's other ones that are saying, hey, this is my challenge. So if somebody does want and disagrees with Councilman Kim Gray and she's your representative, someone you might want to call. Give her a shout. Tweet her. Yeah. With her being a former school board member and saying, I'm not funding it until you tell me which schools you're going to close. I mean, I just I don't understand why if if that is what a city council person wants to do, then perhaps they just need to go ahead and run for school board again. They anyone can have that opportunity. But to do it from the city council dais is holding the entire city hostage, because I believe when Parco Agelasso said, I, I do believe that our schools are something that is holding us back. And we're doing wonderful things in RPS with the limited resources we have. Mm-hmm. And they are obligated to do their job, mm-hmm. which is not to tell the school board what to do. I mean, you can try it, but you can't hold the whole city hostage, children hostage, while the school board is doing everything they can to ensure those kids get what they need. So I was talking to somebody this past weekend um, about how all of this kind of came to be and getting some background information on it. And something I thought was interesting was, so there was this bellwether report. So the bellwether report, for anybody who doesn't know, was basically an outside study that looks at, you know, the efficiencies of a school district, looks at where the costs are, all of this good stuff. And what they came up with and said, there are places that you can decide, hey, we can save some money here. We don't have to save money here. And that's where this whole thing about having larger schools and less of them really enters the public discussion for the purposes of like the past several running years of this. And from that, it wasn't necessarily them saying you have to do it this way. It was you need to make a decision between community schools or these larger schools. So then that's where this option five plan births from. And my understanding is that it's not necessary. There was more of the idea of coming from the administration um, at the time. So like the Dwight Jones administration pushing for right sizing through school closures. Mm -hmm. So option five itself is a plan that was birthed from the idea. We're going to fund this, but you need to close schools. 
So then option five, I, personally, I, I think a comprehensive plan would have names attached to the closures. You would think. It's supposed to be comprehensive, right? If you look at it, it, it has parts of it where it's elements of redistricting. It has elements of school closures. It mm-hmm. has elements of, of new construction. Mm-hmm. So if you look at comprehensive from that definition, I guess, like in theory it is, it just refuses to put names on it. So it doesn't right. take that next political step. Yeah. Nobody and wants how to be that did that plan Did that plan get funded? names. Because, yeah, like that's- because here's the thing is like <clears throat> it's totally different. It's it's a totally different dynamic if you close Martin Luther King versus Binford. So without putting the names on it, you can't even get into the nitty gritty of like what that plan is going to do to your public school system. Then the school board, though, creates this plan that should have fulfilled the requirements. D- d- did option five get funded? No, it did not. Mm-mm. Not yet. No, it did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Just, just. <laughs> yes. So then you have now where the school board is trying to put together a plan, and there's a number of people who are now on board that don't agree with school closures or haven't made their decision about where they feel about school closures. So then they create this plan, which is now Plan A. Mm-hmm. I wish we just like title these, by the way, like come with yeah. good nicknames, because Option Five, Plan A, Phase One. So- Sounds like emergency contraceptives. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, gosh. if only in principle, I'm glad they didn't name it Plan B. <laughs> um, so Plan A and Plan B that they looked at, one of them had closures, but it was after the first five years. That was Plan B. Right. Plan A, it, they're basically the same phase one, the same first five years. Right. So school board, though, had to vote on one. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, the mayor came out with a letter that said, you guys were supposed to have this done in October. You haven't gotten it done. We need something so we can try to fund this this year. So then they vote on this plan. And now it's not comprehensive enough. The issue isn't that it's not comprehensive. The issue is just it's not what they want. According to their standard. That's right. So my question, though, like, what's it going to take? Like, what at what point is enough going to be enough for city council to say, here's the money for the mayor to say, here's the money, regardless of the administration? Well, if you think about the cigarette tax vote, right, you had just, and I'm sure we're going to get to that, but you had just lame excuse after lame excuse followed up by misinformation and frankly lies. So I don't think that there's any real commitment to do a comprehensive funding plan because it would require us walking, it would require our council to walk across the street and talk to people at the General Assembly. It would require um, a charter change. And I don't think that we have the leadership right now to get that done. We should, we should, because everyone ran on it. What gives you that? Well, we do have the leadership. We've got Parker. <laughs> That's true. We've we got, don't have enough backup. Right, right. We've got, I'm sorry, there are people out that are absolutely committed to funding our schools and making that funding plan work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dr. Newbill and Dr. Jones are both, you know, they say they're working on a comprehensive funding plan, but they can't tell the school board that they're not going to fund schools unless they do exactly what they say. It's an elected body, the people voted them in, and they get to decide what happens to the schools. City council gets to fund them, school board makes the decisions. I've heard Miss Emma Clark say that a time or two. There are three places the money can come from. Uh, You can raise taxes on somebody, you can cut other programs, projects, et cetera, in the current budget. To get some money. To get right. some money. I think that's important to, not. to say because I think that's a, if we pause right there, I think that's a part of this argument that is a contention for the public. You know, they had people walk around and get them to sign petitions and then they voted on a plan that said, we can fund schools without raising taxes. And that sound, that's like 
Sounds bright, great. That's a bright blue unicorn. Right. It does not exist. Exactly. You know, it, I mean, I'm not saying that money can't be raised that way, but if people understand how this government works and how public government works, money is not, it doesn't, Stoney said, it's not growing in trees behind City Hall. Yeah. It's got to be raised. Re- it's got to come from revenue. And so you can cut things in the budget, but you're not going to find an amount greater than the our annual allotted budget for right. the year to fund schools. Yeah. It's not there. It's not in the couch yeah. cushions at City Hall. It's it's right? not there. Yeah, and th- and thank you for pointing that out because I think this um, the school modernization referendum mm-hmm. um I, you know, I love it if it hadn't said don't raise taxes because you're right, it created this misconception in the public that we can somehow get 800 900 uh-huh. million dollars uh-huh. out of our squeezed out of our current city budget that And the can't annual do budget that. is only 712 <laughs> and a half million dollars. So we'll just stop annually? the city for a year and a half and and fix the schools. There is one way that I've heard mentioned and kicked around and that's really raising stop pursuing a AAA bond rating. And raise the debt ceiling and be able to say we're not as worried about this. Yes, you absolutely could. Now, something that I actually am looking at right now on my screen, and this is where I also just get frustrated in general with city government. So this report I have only goes from fiscal year 06 to fiscal year 2013. And I'll kind of turn around so you guys can at least see it and I'll describe it. So what this is, is it's Richmond Public Schools percent of debt allocated to education in the city, an eight-year history. And it compares Richmond to... Roanoke, and it also compares Richmond to a city to a state average. So Richmond, if you look at it, is the debt is sitting sec- at the bottom of that chart. Yeah, by a lot. Real sad. Yeah, and to me, you know, we could absolutely raise the city debt limit and say we're going to take on more funds, but we still have to have this commitment that we're going to fund education. And when I look at this, and I can look where Richmond right now, it's 11%. I think there's two years actually in this eight-year history where the percent of debt allocated to education goes into the double digits. When we look over at the, the, city, the city average of all the cities in Richmond, their averages never go below 15%. Right. You look at Roanoke, there's one year where it's like 66%. So we absolutely could say, forget this AAA bond rating, but we still have to have this commitment from people. And there's a historic lack of commitment. Right. And it's just constantly raising this bar of where do we get this money from and pushing and pushing and pushing for more and more information from school board or kind of like kicking a dog a little bit, it feels so like let sometimes. Me, let me ask a question that I've been wondering. What is the value of a AAA bond rating? Why is that something that we're pursuing besides the fact that it just sounds really sweet? <laughs> so my understanding no? of it is is that... And I don't know the exact percentages. I've been trying to figure out the exact percentages of this. So it's kind of like a credit score for a city. So in theory, you can get a better interest rate. So in the long-term period, you're going to be paying less debt. So when you do decide to take out more loans and bonds, basically, um, you're able to pay less on them over time. And there's a cost savings over time so the city can do more with it. And you'll also be in a better placement to receive the amount of money that you need. If you've got a bad... bad, bond rating, you know, and you go and you say, well, I need X amount of dollars, they may say, well, you know, based on the amount of bonds you already already have out, you know, we can probably give you. you And in theory, it also speaks to the financial health of of the city. So then you also attract people who like businesses like the Amazons of the world who want to come here and all these other things. So but double A plus ain't bad. It's not bad. It's really not. Um, And and that's kind of where it gets back to your question of like, well, what do you think 
you asked what is the what is the roadblock with city council in terms of funding and that's where we were saying would well, it might mean raising new taxes it might mean cutting other programs in our budget it might mean having the balls to go lobby the state for some more money or it might mean giving up our our fancy fancy bond rating and it seems like some members of the council have deluded themselves into thinking that somehow we're going to pay off nearly $900 million without hurting anybody. So when we're sitting here watching them talk about this cigarette tax and they're saying, well, we don't want to hurt the small businesses and we also don't want to hurt this big corporation and we didn't want to hurt the diners Mm -hmm. and we didn't want to hurt the restaurants and we don't want to give up our bond rating. Well, what? Is there anything in this city that does not come above the kids in importance then to you? Stop Are the kids more important than stop, anything to you? Then stop historically, systemically defunding public education. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. And that's that's the thing that makes me want to laugh slash cry sometimes is I'm thinking 50 years in the future when we talk about the history of Richmond public schools and other districts like us where a predominantly minority, predominantly low-income school system is underfunded, underfunded, underfunded. And of course, hindsight being 2020, we look back and we say, wow, that's racism. That's classism. It was underfunded because we didn't value the lives of those children enough. But here's our city council thinking that they're somehow different that their decision to underfund the kids is because they really care about small business owners? No. You're falling every, any time historically that we have ever done the right thing by low-income families in this country, somebody has had to take a hit. They're not easy choices. Right. And this city council seems to think that, that it's not racism, that it's not classism, that that they're underfunding the school system for different reasons, and they're not. <laughs> well, and it's they the like to throw thing. in this this conversation about how perhaps Richmond Public Schools is inefficient, and you know, they're it's the administration's pro- like issue, and we shouldn't give them any more money. I well, think you can't, they said. can't be efficient or effective if we don't have enough money to operate. Correct, and you can't keep asking them to keep to cut central staff as they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Right now, our HR department has like 23 people and we've got over 3,000 staff members. Mm-hmm. So we are down, we need at least seven more people in HR. And that's just one department, you know what I mean? So that they're not gonna find the money to cut there. And I think the way that they scapegoat Richmond Public Schools by calling it top heavy, telling them that they have to continue to make cuts, uh, speaks to the same issue. 
it's the same thing that you hear said about black administrations and cities. They are chronically underfunded. You call them corrupt or greedy, um, inefficient. And that is how you devalue and delegitimize what it is they're doing. To be able to right. defund without people being upset. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is also racism. I think it's funny. I kind of had to like chuckle to myself when you mentioned Emma uh, choices. Because, you know, I was listening to a budget work session because apparently I just like hate myself and don't value my time. <laughs> much. <laughs> and I was listening to them speak about a uh, an issue in, I believe it's a police training academy with these steel beams that need to be replaced. And yeah. do they or do they not allocate money? Yeah. And before this, I was also reading the city's response, uh, the administration's response to the potential cuts that city council wanted to make to the capital improvement program plan. And... Every single one of those, I think I tweeted about this, it's so anxiety-inducing to read it because if you read the response, it's like, if you cut this, everything will fall apart. Mm -hmm. And it's a terrible thing. And you have city council who reads it and they respond to that by just figuring out how to keep it in the budget. They ask mayor for more money. They they try to like take money from the public arts or wherever this is. And they try to move stuff around because all of a sudden they get scared half to death that, well, well what if this happens? And you hear council people, they're like, well, this is a, a health and wellness issue well too bad you don't feel that same way about the children teachers <laughs> i find parents. it interesting that they that certain city council members say that they want their colleagues to make a bold and courageous decision when it comes to funding schools yet they are not bold and courageous when it comes to finding the funds i just and exactly and i feel like where i'm going with it is really to say to listen to somebody say like well we didn't really have a choice we had to fund this that's not true mm -mm. you always have a choice just because it's a difficult choice, regardless of if it's you're going to hurt one group of demographic of people or if you're going to have to say, well, we're going to have to skate and hope that this one building doesn't fall apart this year or whatever it is, there's always a choice. Right. And these are decisions they're making to try to not make the difficult choice. They're trying to make the easy choice and just force it in the budget to work. I just get like so soapboxy about it probably. No, no, no it's it's the same frustration and it's, it's just – it's – such a tired narrative that you just get fed up sometimes the coming up with excuses not to fund the schools and like oh not this tax yes we need to fund them but not this budget cut yes we need to fund them but not at the sacrifice of that and then the tired narrative of well they're being inefficient and the tired narrative of they need to consolidate schools and it's like do any of you read like, do any of you know that this is a pattern that you can study that has happened in cities other than Richmond or in Richmond mm -hmm. <laughs> in our history? Uh -huh. So you can go back and you can say this. And when you're scrutinizing it from the outside or with a little bit of historical perspective, you can recognize how short-sighted it is and how subconsciously you're undervaluing of these families is influencing the, the decisions that are being made. But in the moment, our city council members don't seem to be able to to apply that same scrutiny to themselves. So like, oh, well, wait a minute. Hasn't this always been the excuse? Hasn't this always been the narrative? And, I, you know, I'm going to take this kind of like high level here for a second. Like, let's go up and just look at every single and indict every level of government in this and every person that anybody in America has currently elected. Hmm. 
This is the difference to me of electing people who you agree with politically every single time versus electing people who have the ability to lead mm-hmm. and make the tough decisions. Mm-hmm. And right now in council, I can think of two, three maybe people that I would say are true leaders mm-hmm. that will say exactly what it is that they think it is and will make a decision that's tough and answer for it at the same time and explain themselves about it. But that's just, we need right. leaders. And None it, of them are the current leader. <laughs> One of the things that we also hear a lot is you guys need to spend all your money um, as, as a reason to say we're not giving you more money now. So one of the people, of course, that said that would be Mayor Stoney. And it, it's really regarding this fund balance or as Richmond Times Dispatch so eloquently called it, a surplus. Mm. Eloquent, read that as like inaccurately called it a surplus, by the way. Um, So a fund balance. A fund balance is basically anything that is leftover funds uh, at the end of the year. And my understanding of fund balances is that this is something that is good fiscal policy to have a certain amount of it. Because if you do have a government that goes over their budget, they are guilty of criminal malfeasance or fiscal malfeasance, which hashtag lock them up. I don't don't know. Um, So anyway, so with this fund balance and everything and is this something that's feasible to even to say we should spend all of this money? No. I, it would be irresponsible for the school board to spend their entire fund balance. With the issue of our buildings, just start there. There have been years, at least the last three, I'm pretty sure, where an entire school has had to be boxed up and moved out of their building into another Richmond Public Schools facility because of an enormous issue such as mold or um, or like emergency renovations that have right. to happen mid-year. That's expensive, right? And then to handle those maintenance issues as they arrive is, a, is expensive because we're not maintaining our buildings. We're just running. It's an emergency fund because our buildings are in an emergency situation. So it would be irresponsible because we need that money And additionally, the city has a fund balance. The city has a fund balance that is a little bit fatter, frankly, than it needs to be. It's at 12% of their budget. It's supposed to be at 10. Yeah, I think it's 15% right now if you look at like the CAFR report, but then that includes the school's fund balance, which I think gets it down to like that 12% range, assuming that my school taught me algebra correctly. (laughs) Well, it's a big assumption. (laughs) At least you had it. I mean, we probably have, we have students that don't have algebra at all, you know, like they don't have access to it. So, you know, I don't understand why if every dollar has to be a spent dollar, right? The city council has an obligation to return some of that fund balance to Richmond Public Schools. Because if city council wants to be looking at Richmond Public Schools and scrutinizing our fund balance and how we're handling our fund balance, when we desperately need that money year over year, then perhaps we should be scrutinizing theirs and perhaps that we should be paying more attention to it because that 2% that they have in addition would fund all of the programs that we're asking for. So put up or shut up, give us our money. So in the last couple of minutes here, I kind of want to spend some time and, and just ask the question, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of different things. There's excuses some of which may be more legitimate than others, that there shouldn't be funding for more for schools. There's a lot of talk about objections to who's going to be hurt by which and all of this stuff. But like, let's take the next couple of minutes. How can we boil this down for people of what is it that we need city council to do? Are there certain programs that we can advocate for that maybe they could move funding for? Is there one message that everybody can really rally behind that you're trying to lead the charge on? 
Yeah, and um, it's not just what we want people to expect from city council. It's what we want people to expect from the mayor. And the message that people need to be delivering to the mayor is cut your bull... Because the mayor of Richmond, not only is it irresponsible of him to suggest that RPS should be using their full fund balance before he's going to give us the money... It's uh, it's um, it's disingenuous. He knows money. He knows finance. He knows that Richmond can't spend their fund balance right now. Uh, Richmond can't sell off our extra Clark Springs holding facility because we need a holding facility when our schools abruptly break down and we have to have a place to put our kids. We can be a lot more fiscally responsible when they fix our buildings and stop underfunding us. Every dollar needs to be a spent dollar. So here's some some pocket change to fund your school system. And it's not even enough. Both. He knows what he's doing. He knows who he's prioritizing. His meals tax was a large political battle in order to get a small increase in the meals tax. That was $150 million when we need $224 million for the first phase of our facilities plan. He could have had that same political fight and raised that meals tax just slightly to get us 224 instead of 150 But he didn't because he wants that AAA bond rating because he wants to be able to put that on his next campaign brochure. So... The city needs to, the residents of the city need to stop accepting this politicking from the mayor, this playing around with with the, the well-being of our students, trying to finagle things so that he can look good enough to to win his next election. But I'm not doing saying nothing. Very well, but, well, but while doing simultaneously nothing. doing nothing. From the mayor, um, people, people need to be calling him out a little bit and expecting him to prioritize the kids above above himself. He's the education mayor. He got an education combat together. They've met twice. Everyone asked a lot of thoughtful questions to get some airtime. And after that, we've heard nothing. So now we've got city council working on this comprehensive plan. But in the meantime, we're going to continue running our buildings into the ground because we're not allocating anything more than a million dollars for the 44 schools that we have. And in the children are sitting in classrooms without heat. They are sitting in classrooms that are so hot or so hot that crayons melt on the floor that have mold that uh, perhaps we got some new water fountains, but the filters need to be changed in those water fountains in order for them to effectively keep lead out of children's drinking water. We don't have the money for lead filters in our water fountains. These are, I don't think we talk enough, like really, truly, I don't think we talk enough about how dire our situation is. Emma and I are not out here advocating for money for schools. And if you've you've listened, no one here is asking for a raise. We want our children to get the same education as children in the county because they deserve it. And if... I may make a quick plug for my school, Binford, proud of the fan. We're a turnaround art school that recently had uh, Jason Mraz, who is partnered with us, released his new music video. 
and it used it has our students in it it has our building in it our 100 year old building and the song is called um have it all it's one of those like graduation songs and the lyrics are really really cute it's just kind of like a I'm trying to like actually play them back in my head. But the lyrics are really sweet and it's like kind of like a laundry list of wishes for what kids should have. And he says that he wants them to have it all. And I can't watch that music video without just crying. Because if Jason Mraz wants our students to have it all, why don't we? They deserve it. They deserve everything. And we're giving them next to nothing. You're making me cry. <laughs> it's so sad. It is really sad. It's, oh gosh. I'm so disappointed in this city, and I'm so disappointed in this council. And when we left council on um, the 23rd, I was raging. And I stayed up until 1 a.m. just ranting at my family about what had happened. And how can they sit there and say they want to make bold and courageous moves to fund schools and then not then look down their noses at $5 million. Or say that, you know, it's a regressive tax and it disproportionately affects poor people and people of color when our schools, our poorly funded schools, disproportionately affect poor people and people of color. You know, an 80, per, an 80 cent tax, I am sure the vast majority of Richmonders who smoke would prefer that tax go to students, go to children, because we have... The people in our city, believe it or not, they care. Our politicians who we elect find ways not to. So if we came up with like a list for city council of like, here's, here's what we want to see. Um, I, I want to believe Councilman Newbill. She seems sincere. Seventh district. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I she's a smart woman. Um, Actions speak louder than words, so our frustration is that if the council meant what they're saying about wanting to find a comprehensive funding plan, why has it taken so long for them to do so? Um, but that that history aside, I, re I really want to put my faith in this effort she's initiating to create mm -hmm. a comprehensive funding plan. Mm -hmm. um, I want the council to do some self-examining and say, look, Somebody is going to have less for us to fix these schools. Somebody's going to have to pay a higher tax. Somebody's going to have some cuts to their program. I'm going to have to make a little political sacrifice to really push my state to give us some more funding. And we might have to forego uh, the ideal bond rating. But I, I want our council members to come to terms with that of the fact that they're not going to fund the schools without asking some of their constituents to make some hard sacrifices. And they can do that in a way that's fair and respectful to the people that they represent. Um, and uh, this, is a, this is a very specific ask, um, but there's one thing that um, some activists have, have brought up in the budget, one of the things that they are considering doing is there is a property across from Creighton Court um, that they are, RRHA would be donating to a private school. Um, a facility. And, yeah, a facility. A facility um, which is, I've heard they do phenomenal work, um, but it is a private school. Um, and given the state of our public schools, we need to be 
prioritizing every dollar we can possibly get to go to our public schools, not our private schools. And regardless of the quality of that particular private institution, um, the very act of taking money out of an emaciated budget when you have schools short $900 million and giving it to a private school is um, is concerning. And so. I agree. I think, you know, Anna Julia Cooper does do excellent work. However, they, you know, the students that they service are almost all, I believe, are almost all zoned for Armstrong High School, which right now has a bathroom without doors on the stalls. So when the girls have to go to the bathroom, they take two girls with them to stand in front of them. What? What? I have a friend at Armstrong who has to check her rat trap every morning. And if there is a rat in it, she has to take the trap with the live rat in it and go out into this field and let the rat out. I'm going to be sick. That's her consideration when she walks into her, like, when she walks into her classroom. She puts her school bag down and then checks the rat trap. If If I walked into work, if I walked into work to find rats, I would quit. Day of. Like our teachers the day are. I find rats, I would I, walk out. Our teachers I are. <laughs> We're leaving in droves, and it's partially due to the fact that, and it's not the kids. It's definitely not it's the kids. It's not students. the kids, and it's not pay. No. It's the rat traps. Yes. In all of their myriad forms. Yes. To close on that note, um, I, I think for me, one thing is that we need to, as all constituents across the city, make sure our elected officials know the only way they will be reelected is that they fix schools. We need to show them that we support them, even if it's at the cost of having other people who are upset with them, that we will support them through and through if the schools are fixed. Yes. So thank you very much, Emma and Sarah, for coming on today. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And I, I think I might actually close out by taking a cue from the White House Correspondents' Dinner last night from Michelle Wolf, and just remind everybody that Richmond Public Schools still doesn't have adequate facilities. Have a great day. Mic drop. All right, friends, that does it for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. There's a school board meeting scheduled for next Monday, May 7th at 4.30 p.m. But remember, kiddies, we are in the thick of budget season. City Council is holding a special budget meeting at 5 p.m. that same night, so... RPS board may be scuttled to deal with all that. Yeah, we'll be there. So join us if you can. And if you can't, follow along at RVA Dirt on Twitter. Hashtag RVA Council. Thanks for listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, recorded in the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond.